If you know where to look in the night sky, you can track the motion of a few stars that seem to move. In fact, they do move. There is a Greek word for moving star, planetai, which means, very simply, wandering star. We now understand that these wandering stars are massive gaseous spheres of light, artistry, and wonder orbiting a massive star we call the Sun, which for all intents and purposes seems to be stationary, except that it too moves, orbiting a massive unseen entity we now call a black hole located at the center of our Milky Way galaxy. And what is a galaxy but a swirling mass of hundreds of billions of stars, many like our sun, some much larger, some smaller, all of which are likewise in orbit around the black hole. But what is the ultimate cause of all of this celestial motion? Today, if you were to consult a science textbook, you would be told that certain forces lie behind the motion of the planets and stars. The term force is so ubiquitous in our modern vernacular, we hardly give it a second thought. The term force was first coined by Sir Isaac Newton when he published his discovery of gravity in the late 17th century. Prior to that time, however, the motion of stars and planets was attributed to a variety of different entities. As theologian Max Wilders observes, quote, Plato had appealed to a world soul, Aristotle to separate intelligences, the medieval theologian to angels, and Descartes to the notorious vortices, or ethereal whirlpools carrying the stars and planets along their revolving motion. All these options were finally obliterated by Newton." Quote. Scientifically, a force, as Newton described it with specific mathematical equations, is an attraction between bodies of mass that weakens as the distance between them increases. Think of yourself and Earth. The Earth has mass, and so do you. It is a truth that the Earth actually, though imperceptibly, is attracted to you in the same way we fall toward the Earth. Newton came up with the mathematics of these relationships and coined the term force. It is difficult to say in a few sentences just what sort of impact Newton's discovery had upon Western civilization. As Wilders puts it, quote, its impact was felt not only in the purely scientific field, but also in philosophy, morality, political theory, theology, and man's whole self-understanding. The beautiful and harmonious synthesis between cosmology, anthropology, and theology, which had been so well established in the Middle Ages, was doomed to destruction." End quote. And in any scientific description of force today, what remains a great mystery is the idea of a force being a kind of causal agent. The radical paradigm shift in our thinking about God and the universe arguably hinges on this concept alone. No longer is God intimately upholding all things by the word of his power, as the scriptures tell us, but now has been conceptually replaced by forces which do all the acting. This is not to denigrate the mathematical brilliance that scientists have employed in being able to describe forces with precise formulae by any means, 
but to point out that neither a fanciful metaphor nor mathematical language have any causal properties or agency. What then precisely is this attraction between two objects of mass? It remains unseen, though we have the math to describe it. Current cosmological theories now suggest the universe is at once both rapidly expanding by an invisible force termed dark energy and is simultaneously being held together by another mysteriously invisible force called dark matter. Dark, in both instances, simply means that there has yet to be any sort of visible detection of these entities. Science may discover such particles one day, but even if that were to happen, the term force would remain in full force. The mystery of just what a force is will persist. Science today accepts that there are four fundamental forces at work in the universe. The electromagnetic force, the strong nuclear force, the weak nuclear force, and gravity. Which, curiously enough, is the weakest of the four fundamental forces. At the present time, scientists are literally in the dark when it comes to explaining how, or even if, gravity interacts with the subatomic strong and weak nuclear forces. With Newton's idea of force now in play, God's role in upholding the universe has become that of a distant supervisor who only intervenes on occasion to make adjustments to the otherwise self-governing forces he created. As noted previously, this idea had far-ranging impact in other areas of our existence. If God was impersonally distant and only intervened once in a while, then what about my own life? God too becomes distant and aloof. I do all that I can and call upon God only when I need his help. But this is profoundly in direct contrast to the full counsel of Scripture regarding God's intimate care in sustaining and upholding his creation, from the stars to our very selves. As King David proclaims in Psalm 8, quote, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your enemies, to do away with the enemy and the revengeful. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you think of him, and a son of man that you are concerned about him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You have him rule over the works of your hands. You have put everything under his feet." End quote. So come along with us as we continue to explore the fascinating unknowns about our created cosmos, all to the glory of God in Christ. That brings me to one of the great mysteries that I discovered recently. This was uh, sent to me, uh, an article uh, from my boss at work, James, James Walker. He sends me these uh, astronomy articles. Uh, he thinks I already know about them, but I don't keep up with everything. But, so I appreciate he sends me these things. This, was, um, this came out in November of last year. And it was uh, this particular article that I'm reading from is from NPR. But uh, the... Uh, journal was it was posted in the astrophysical journal um and you remember when you know pluto is your favorite planet we're going to call it a planet just for tonight 
Uh, Pluto is your favorite, one of your favorites. And uh, you know the New Horizons yeah. was the spacecraft that went by and took a picture of Pluto. And uh, that's now billions of year, billions of miles past Pluto. So what's New Horizons been up to since it went past Pluto and has nothing else to photograph? Well, uh, this is where it gets really interesting. So cutting it short here, they did a bunch of math. They took some readings from New Horizons, and they did some calculations. And uh, some astronomers published a paper um, that basically said there's light outside of the galaxies, light in the universe, that we cannot, for which we cannot account. In other words, they, however they did this was fascinating. They took into account all the light that is there and the energy it emits, and they did some calculations and found out the amount of light coming from mysterious sources the article says, was about equal to all the light coming in from the known galaxies, says uh, Mark Postman, who's an astronomer with the the Space Telescope Science Institute in Baltimore. Mark uh, works with the Hubble. Um, And so they've done this study. It's going to require some follow-up research because maybe it's instrument aberration or something, but uh, it is certainly something to talk about because now they're saying there's as much light outside of galaxies as there are light inside of galaxies, and they don't know where this extra light is coming from. So more research is needed there, but I thought that that was cool. Yeah, Dan. Uh, so they they looked at some of the darkest parts of the sky uh, that they could find where there's not any real bright stars that would kind of dominate their the view right mm-hmm. and uh so this is kind of like you know, i remember you and i looking at a map of uh dark places in north america yeah and uh we were comparing uh, west texas to other places <laughs> to look to look <laughs> at stars well they they kind of did the same thing uh, for galaxies you might say mm. you know? Um, if you if you take out, subtract out all the light that we know of from known galaxies and stars, uh, what's left? Well, what should be left is nothing, but it's not. It's it, there's still light, a lot of light that they can't tell where it comes from. Absolutely amazing. My wild guess, I would have a wild guess about this, Dan, and this is probably not worth anything, but my wild guess would be that it's coming from our galaxy somehow. Mm. Scattered light, but I don't know. Mm. Mm. Um, we're, we're inside a galaxy. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to say, but it is another mystery. Just add it to the list there of cosmic mysteries. A mysterious light source. Where's it coming yes. from? Yes. Yes. Now, this isn't so much of a secret that, that, that we now know that galaxies are arranged in clusters and superclusters and mega clusters and um we talked about this in another program that we did you and I we did things too big for the big bang right and um, right the, the galaxies are arranged in sort of a, a filament like strings and there's some really long filaments of galaxies out there that we're just now starting to uncover and in 2013 astronomers found some gamma ray bursts and uh, we can get into that gamma ray bursts are 
objects that put out more energy than our sun in a lifetime in just a few seconds. And they are extraordinarily yeah. powerful and a fascinating, a fascinating target uh, of study and research right now. But in 2013, in November of 2013, some astronomers had found a handful of gamma ray bursts kind of clustered close together. Now, you need a lot of mass to create a lot of energy. And so where you find clusters of gamma ray bursts, you know there's got to be some incredibly powerful source of energy somewhere. There's got to be something going on there. These handful of gamma ray bursts kind of close together led astronomers to find what they now call the Corona Borealis, the Hercules Corona Borealis Great Wall. Now, what is that? Well, it's a string, a filament, if you will, of I don't know how many millions of galaxies. I'm not sure. I didn't I didn't look up a figure on that. Just an extraordinary number of galaxies. Like think of Christmas lights or something. A string of galaxies that is ten billion, billion with a B, light years in length. Ten billion light years. Yeah. Now the other interesting thing is, Wayne, that this really rocks the the Big Bang cosmology in one way because this object is about 10 billion light years away from us, which puts it in a very early part of the universe, as you know, if we accept the current time scales. This thing sits in a baby universe when the universe was just a few billion years old, allegedly. And it doesn't have time. A structure like that doesn't have time to develop to be that big where it's sitting currently in the universe. And so this really rubs up against what Einstein called homogeneity, that the universe is basically the same in every direction. Yeah. Well, you have this hulking wall of galaxies out there in the in the young part of the universe that, that Big Bang cosmology, for which Big Bang cosmology has no explanation. Now, some astronomers have tried to take this apart and say, well, it's not really a wall. It just looks like a wall and um, but there's, I think the evidence really is in favor of, of the wall being a wall. And uh, it's, it's rather amazing that this structure of galaxies is out there that large um, that defies current cosmological ideas. Now, this doesn't you know, undo the whole Big Bang cosmology, but it's yet another mystery for which we have no current explanations. Why is this thing, this, this huge thing out there, in, in in such a young part of the universe, yeah. And how can how can an object or a structure that large form, e- even on even if you allow for billions of years, it's not explicable. Uh huh. Uh-huh. By anything uh-huh. anybody knows of. Now, in relation to this um, gigantic, massive cluster of galaxies this this great wall is sort of let's go in the opposite direction now there is the constellation called buotes if i'm pronouncing it right i i, I just call it boots because that's what the way it looks like it's the the plowman or the shepherd um it looks like a small version of orion you know in, in as a constellation itself there is something called the great void in buotes so what is this so if you think about the her, her, the Corona Borealis Great Wall as a filament of galaxies, the universe is filled with these filaments of galaxies. The galaxies seem to form along these strings, 
and uh, the universe is, is like a cosmic web, you know. And so in between these filaments are these great voids of space where there's not a lot of galaxies uh, because they exist in these clusters and along these filaments. Well, it's weird because the, the great void in Boots is basically a bubble in space. It's like a right. snow globe, but there's no snow in it. <laughs> and it is 280 million light years in diameter, and it's empty. Now, the, there are other voids in the universe, but they have thousands of galaxies in them not tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands. They have only have a handful, like thousands. Well, the Boots void, the Buotes void, only has like 60 to 100 galaxies in it, Wayne. And astronomers are baffled because there's not enough time for this bubble to have been cleaned out. Again, another thing that it requires, in order to get that much of, a, of a, almost like a pure vacuum of nothing, you have to have this expansion and growing and the, and the gravitational forces that are at work don't have enough time to clean the house, if you will. Yeah. Right? It, it requires a lot of time to get that low density of, of gravity uh, where there's just nothing. And so they have really no fundamental explanation for why this void is so empty. We don't know. Yeah, and Dan, um, this sort of problem is um, one of the reasons why I think it works best to just think of things as uh, most of most facts about these huge structures goes back to creation, and God started them this way. In other yeah. words, they didn't have to come to this; they were started this way. Right. Um, in the beginning. I think right. that right. that is more right. uh, makes more sense. It seems very rational to me. I mean, if you can believe in a, a great infinite creator God who's all-powerful, then that makes sense. I'm not saying they shouldn't pursue the science of this, but uh, it's not – the science doesn't rule out a supernatural creation origin. Right. Right, Wayne, and I think as, for as many episodes as you and I have done of Good Heavens Now going on, we're entering into our, our fourth year coming up here in the fall, uh, we've talked about so many things that the more you talk about it, the more you realize it, the more you read, and the more of these things, these anomalies keep popping up, and you keep have to explain them by a slow, gradual, natural development, it really becomes very difficult to come up with scenarios where you explain how these things come into being over time. Yeah. It's just it just becomes much more difficult to mm-hmm. do that whereas if you look at it, I mean yes, the universe has changed over time. Stars explode, galaxies spin, you know, things crash into moons and all that stuff. Sure. Yeah. But for the most part, the large scale structures that we're talking about from you know, supergiant stars to supernovae or whatever galaxy spins and galaxy filaments and great voids and all this stuff are best explained, I, I think, uh, by, as you say, I totally agree. God created them as pretty much they are right now. Right. And we do see things changing in space, you know, but so I'm not saying that our science observes things happening in space and so we can see that. We, we know things can happen, but. 
the, to explain the 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 big scale structure of the universe and the big things uh, is not easy um, to to bring it about from from just gravity and known known forces. Yes, yes, and um, the one thing that another verse of scripture that came to mind in relation to all this stuff was a couple of verses. One from Ecclesiastes. Uh, and it's in uh, the third chapter of Ecclesiastes, and uh, we, we think it's we think Solomon wrote this at the end of his life, um, probably so. Uh, a king's lament. Had I had to do it all over again, here's what I learned. Yeah. But uh, in chapter three, in verse eleven, we we read that uh, God He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has also set eternity in their heart, yet so that man will not find out the work which God has done from the beginning, even to the end. That doesn't mean you can't do science, of course. We're not saying, well, don't do science because you're never going to figure it out. It just means that God will always reserve the unknown um, because he's God, right? I mean, he's he's. there's going to be stuff that we don't know simply because God hasn't told us or that he, 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 he's God. It's not that we don't know, therefore God. It is God, therefore we don't know. That's, you know, sort of a, a reverse on the God of the gaps. We're not saying all these mysteries, uh, therefore God exists. So, Dan, yeah, I would say it this way. Uh, God is beyond us. He is all-knowing and, and infinite intelligence and infinite in power, so you can't expect that finite creatures like us will ever completely figure him out. Right, right. And uh, it reminds me of another verse in John, the opening gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things, everything we're talking about tonight, all things came into being by him and apart from him. Nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, John 1, 5. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And here we are in a universe filled with light. And the light that we see is a great mystery. Much of it, you know, from fast radio bursts to gamma ray bursts to black holes to the cosmic microwave background radiation to population three stars or the Hercules Corona Borealis Great Wall. There's light shining in the darkness, but the darkness, we don't understand it all. We, we don't know what all of this is. We, we are trying to find out, and I think it's fascinating that, that we know what we do know, but by and large, Wayne, I, you know, it's it's almost well, it is a tragedy that a lot of the material sciences take no thought for the glory of God. It's just like what we read in Numbers a little bit ago, where so many people look and see the signs that God has made. Right? That's what it says in Genesis for signs and for seasons and for days and for years, but they don't recognize or acknowledge that this is the handiwork of the Lord, and that is. Uh, to me, all of these mysteries, and so many more mysteries, uh, deepen my appreciation for God's majesty and his sovereignty 
and his uh, creative power and his abilities. You know, in Romans 1, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen. His power and his faithfulness and his regularity and his wisdom and his righteousness and his glory is on display in the cosmos. And uh, it reminds me of Colossians 2, that uh, Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so the best kind of astronomy, I think, is the kind that sees the universe through Christ and the glory of God. Uh, Some of the best astronomers that gave us the foundation for Western astronomy were Christians. And I think good astronomy will progress. Yeah, Dan, that verse is very interesting. It says, uh, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I, uh, that might seem like a strange statement from the Bible to a lot of people, but I don't think it's like, it's not saying that somehow uh, believers are smarter than unbelievers. No. It's, it's obviously no. not the conclusion to draw. <laughs> no, no. But so it's, it's saying that it's, I think it's, it's more the idea that when you don't, when you're not willing to consider God, that you you have a block to understanding. Mm-hmm. And when you, uh, you open up the door to believing in God, that that t- takes away the block, and it opens up the door to understanding a lot of things in a better way, Great in a healthier point. way that's better for us, yes. and it explains explains the world. And it's better for us. Right, right. So that's a good point. We're not saying Christians are smarter than everybody else. We're saying that in Christ, um, well, it's only through Christ that we can know what we do know. And it's not that if you're a Christian that you're by default smarter. Right. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Um, and that's not what we're saying at all, That uh, that that it is Christ himself who reveals things to us. And I have been so fortunate, and we have been so fortunate on Good Heavens to talk to so many wonderful Christians who are in the sciences of the heavens, who whose faith is remarkable, who who study the heavens and see it in light of who God is. Uh, and that's what our book is all about, you know, the, the story of the cosmos, how the heavens declare the glory of God. Um, we try to tell that story from history and philosophy and science to, to, to art and uh, literature. How do the heavens declare the glory of God? And so we think uh, some of these mysteries um, sort of deepen our appreciation for God and his glory and his majesty. Uh, you know, as Isaiah says, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars, you know, and, and think about his majesty and his glory and his power and his wisdom. You know, it is, uh, it is unfathomable and um, really wonderful to think of of the one who made all that knows us and calls us all by name as well right so uh god is great and it's a privilege that we can that we can know him and um i am glad that there is someone bigger than us <laughs> who is in control yes and uh yes. in a human uh human experience is limited and we are fallible and the the systems we build are fallible and uh so we we live in a with our own limitations but god right. has a a good plan that he's working out right 
Right. Wayne, it's been a wonderful tour through the mysteries of the cosmos. Did we catch them all? Do you have any more mysteries you want to talk about before we wrap up here? There's lots lots more out there we can talk about. Um, fast radio bursts have been a mystery. So there's radio signals that kind of start real rapid and then they die off most of the time. But there's a few of these that repeat. And uh, astronomers have been very puzzled to figure out what they are and what causes them. Um, there's a lot of things, Dan, about the magnetic fields of different kinds of stars and and things like uh, black holes have a lot of very powerful magnetic fields and other things do. And the magnetic fields causes uh, radiation and uh, things like electrons that spiral around and that generates radio waves. Even Jupiter generates radio waves um, in our solar system. And uh, so there's a lot of magnetic and electrical things that can happen around stars and and other kinds of objects in space. And uh, astronomers are very puzzled by these fast radio bursts. They're usually short-lived and they're over. And uh, now there's at least one scientist has proposed they come, that they could be related to uh, some, another thing called a gamma ray burst. So there's one in our in our g- galaxy, Dan, that at one time there was a gamma ray burst in this particular spot, and there's been a fast radio burst from the same place that happened later, and so they think. The gamma ray bursts may cause the fast, fast radio burst mm, somehow, mm-hmm. but they don't know mm-hmm. how. <laughs> it's another, another weird thing. Yeah, yeah. I read an article just before we came on tonight um, that uh, some astronomers, I think it was in China, perhaps. Uh, I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and look. But there was an article about um, the some astronomers were targeting uh, a handful of gamma ray bursts to see if they could detect any fast radio bursts uh, from these gamma ray bursts. And they didn't find any fast radio bursts. So it seems like there is a connection, but then that connection from a fast radio burst to a gamma ray burst is still tenuous. We still really don't know how that would be the case, though it seems like right now the best example or the best p- candidate for fast radio bursts is something of a of a gamma ray burst. I've also heard that fast radio bursts come from magnetars, and magnetars are collapsed neutron stars. In other words, stars that have neutrons in their core. Their core of neutrons collapses, and that creates this spinning, chaotic, very intense magnetic star like a figure skater which super magnets imagine a uh, olympic figure skater with refrigerator magnets all over it. Uh, if you can it's a bad analogy i guess but uh um you have this super spinning <laughs> collapsed neutron star and they think the intense magnetic field that, that that created uh sets off these fast radio bursts but what's fascinating about fast radio bursts that i discovered was that the, uh, one fast radio burst in, in milliseconds puts out more energy 
millions of times more energy than our sun does in a month in just one couple of milliseconds of a fast radio burst. Yeah. And the funny thing is, that I think it's funny anyway, that, that we don't know much about gamma ray bursts either. That's right. Gamma ray bursts put out intense radiation. In, in just a burst of a gamma ray burst, one little gamma ray burst puts out more energy than our sun in its entire lifetime. I heard or something along that magnitude, but we- yeah, they don't know for sure what gamma ray bursts are. That's right. So even if you say a gamma ray burst is a source of a fast radio burst, you're just basically it's two 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 mysteries. It's two mysteries because we still haven't solved the gamma ray burst problem. Yeah, but uh, these light signals. So it's one mystery on top of another. <laughs> it is so wonderfully mysterious. And uh, it is it is fascinating. And yeah. then I, I think I we'll wrap up with this last one here. And I almost forgot this one. I'm glad I didn't. Um, we briefly have probably touched on this one in a couple of other episodes. Uh, what they call Tabby's Star. And you, you can Google this one. It's called Tabby's Star. Uh, the, the scientific name is KIC8462852. Um, sounds like a telephone number. And it actually is. Sort of, it's, it's seven digits, but it's not a telephone number. You can't call this star. Uh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get anything. But KIC eight four six two eight five two. It was discovered by the Kepler telescope, and uh, it was actually discovered by citizen astronomers looking through some star data. And basically, what this is was a couple several years ago, um, people were looking for dips in a star's brightness, and if it was a smooth dip. Like a, like a V with a rounded bottom, then basically what you know is that there's a planet, perhaps, transiting, going in front of the star, right. which causes a temporary smooth V-like dip in brightness. Right. So they had these citizen astronomers going through this, this data um, looking for these smooth V dips that are regular and periodic, which would suggest that this star has a planet going around it. And so that's what the Kepler Space Telescope uh, Planet Hunter Telescope was doing. And there was so much data that astronomers couldn't look at it all themselves. And so they put it online and said, you all look for this, and here's what you need to look for. So some people found this star, but they weren't smooth U-shaped or V-shaped dips. They looked more like an earthquake on a Richter scale. And people were like, "What is this?" And they were not they were not regular; they were unpredictable in terms of when this stuff. So, so if it wasn't a smooth thing, it was a jagged sort of dip in brightness. What is passing in front of these star in, in front of this star? And uh, to this day, as far as I know, um, there's no candidate that I know of that. Um, is proposed to be what is passing in front of the star. Now, at the height of the popularity of this thing, people, uh, some astronomers were using the Green Bank Telescope in Virginia, or in West Virginia, one of the Virginias, um, is a radio telescope, to see if they could detect radio signals from the star. And they didn't find anything. So there was like radio silence. The only other plausible explanation for what's passing in front of KIC is what they call Lagrange points. So in other words... Jupiter has these Lagrange points, like between Jupiter and the Sun, there are five different points of gravitational equilibrium. Every, any two orbiting bodies have five Lagrange points. Uh, the Earth and the Sun, the Earth and the Moon, Jupiter and the Sun, 
And so what it is, basically, are there are five points. And uh, Lagrange point four and five um, are points of equilibrium. You can think of them like cereal bowls, where they just hold things. The gravity between the, the sun and the planet Jupiter is such to where it stabilizes anything in Lagrange point four and five. So it's like a catch-all. And so at Lagrange point four and five at Jupiter, there are all these asteroids that are just held in place. So what they think is happening on KIC eight four uh, KIC eight four six two eight five two is that it's some kind of Lagrange point, and this all this asteroid and debris and dust is is uh, passing in front of it. But they haven't really been able to make telescope confirmation of this. So whatever's passing in front of the star is fascinating people, and we really still don't know. And people were actually suggesting aliens. Dyson spheres, sort of like these not quite finished uh, solar panels that look like Death Stars. People were literally thinking that that might be a thing. You know, here's some alien life or whatever. But it still, to this day, remains a mystery. Um, and one of the most fascinating and popular mysteries of late, I think. So check that out. Look it up. KIC 8462852. Dig it into it yourself and have fun. Yeah. So there's plenty of mysteries yet to be solved. Plenty, and I hope we've whetted your appetite. Uh, thank you for listening tonight, and uh, and uh, we'll put some uh, we'll put some additional information in the podcast notes below for you to uh, to pursue and to look these things up. Uh, we talked about population three stars, KIC eight four six two eight five two gamma ray bursts, fast radio bursts, the Hercules Corona Borealis Great Wall, technetium, the Great Void in Boots. We talked about. Uh, um, the mysterious light and modified Newtonian dynamics and dark matter. And uh, we didn't talk about dark energy, but that's out there as well. So we covered quite a bit, Wayne. I think this was a, a wonderful tour de force of cosmic mysteries. What do you say? Yes. And uh, maybe we can uh, find some other scientists to talk to. It might give us some more insight on these things. Absolutely. Absolutely. That'd be wonderful. So uh, for our Good Heavens audience, if you know a, a, a cosmologist or an astronomer or somebody who, would, who, would, uh, who loves astronomy and uh, Jesus would like to be on our show, uh, drop us a line. You can uh, email me at my public email at psalm1968 at gmail.com. Get a hold of us through uh, Good Heavens on Podbean or Good Heavens on Patreon.com slash Good Heavens. If you uh, know of somebody uh, who might be interested in appearing as a guest on our show, we'd love to have them, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. So uh, thanks for hanging out with us, and we hope you have been exhorted to think of uh, Jesus more and his glory and what he has made, and uh, we hope you uh, have some food for thought in uh, exploring these cosmic mysteries in greater detail. Amen. So, Wayne, we will see you next time right here on... Good heavens. Good heavens. is a podcast examining and appreciating the wonders of the cosmos from a biblical perspective designed for education and wholesome entertainment for the whole family 
From the most distant galaxies to the strangest stars in the universe, Wayne and Dan cover a wide variety of cosmological and astronomical topics as they point to the glory of God in Christ. Thanks for listening to another episode of Good Heavens, a production of Watchman Fellowship Incorporated, Arlington, Texas. For more information about Good Heavens or other topics and podcasts related to apologetics, world religions, and cults, visit watchman.org today.